This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, how is everybody today? I'm Mary Walter sitting in for Brian Kilmeade. Frank told you that right there. And we have a fantastic show for you today. You know, I feel like all hosts come on and say, we've got a really great show player for you today. Like, and, and, you know, obviously you're ultimately going to be the judge of that. But some shows you just get excited about. I'm excited about this show today. We are actually going to go right to it. We are starting this hour off with a great conversation with Tom Homan, the acting ice director, now retired, also a Fox News contributor. Tom Homan, welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. How are you? Doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so gl- glad to have you, because I have some questions for you. Um, as I was going through uh, some stories, there's a lot on immigration, obviously, in the news, because it's a disaster. And uh, imagine what it, the coverage would be if this were under the Trump administration. But since it's under the Biden administration, we're all going to pretend as if it's not happening. Um so we have, I mean, the southern border is, is just absolutely uh, just open at this point in the game, so much so that the state of Texas is building, continuing the border wall in sections where uh, all of the construction was stopped. How is, do you know how that is being funded? Is that being funded through Texas uh, taxpayer dollars? Are they doing a private funding thing? Do you have any idea how that is being funded and how they're going about that? You know, it's, it's, it's using both avenues. They, they have got uh, a funding uh, uh, cycle out there, you know, through uh, uh, GoFundMe. But there's also some, you know, Texas taxpayer dollars also on the budget. But, you know, the Governor Abbott is doing the right thing, of course, because it's not only is he protecting the citizens and taxpayers of, of Texas, uh, but he's also protecting the citizens of his entire nation because I've been down there four times in the last few months. And 95% of these people are not staying in Texas. They're going all the country. We've already seen record amounts of opioids and fentanyl uh, seizures. And what's really concerning is what they're not catching because half the border patrol is tied up with these family guns. We've already seen the surge, the dramatic increase in fentanyl overdoses that are affecting yeah. this nation. I met with 100 sheriffs down there, and almost 100 sheriffs, probably about 80, 80, 86 sheriffs. And they all talked about the rising crime in their neighborhoods throughout the country, not just on the southern border, throughout the country from criminal cartels and human trafficking and, and drug trafficking and gun trafficking. The border has created a national security crisis for this nation. And I thank God for governors like uh, Abbott who are stepping up and other governors around the country that are supporting him by sending resources to him. They realize it's a, it's a national issue, just not a border issue. 
Oh, it absolutely is a national issue. And and I want to talk about that because you've been to the border, you know, several times, yet our vice president, you know, was at the border technically, but so far away from where the crisis is, where these people are just overrunning ranchers and, and private homes and, and there's accidents every day, more and more accidents with people fleeing. And these people feel like they're living in a war zone and under siege. Um, how is this a winning issue for the Biden administration? I don't understand this stance at all because polls show that it cuts across party lines that people don't like open immigration. They don't like this just unfettered open border. So what is the thinking with the Biden administration with this? Could you possibly have any idea? Well, the Biden administration is all in on open borders. And I've said it many times when Joe Biden was running for president, he made promises about moratorium on deportations, uh, end the Remain in Mexico program, amnesty, free health care. I mean, he said the things that he knew would win the progressive left, that he needed them to win the election. So in my opinion, Joe Biden sold this country out to win the election, and that's obvious. And he's kept those promises by a series of executive orders. It is not a winning issue. This is going to kill them when it comes to 2022 in the, in, at the polls uh, and at the election, in the election booth. I think we're going to take back Congress, and I think we're going to take back the White House. You know, he's a one-term president, and this issue will be his. It will be something that's going to, you know, ruin his reelection chances or in the Democrats uh, maintaining control of the House. That's my personal opinion. Because you're right, most Americans want a secure border. And what's really disgusting, as you said, Kamala Harris. You know, children are dying. Thirty-one percent of women yeah. get sexually assaulted making that trip. Human trafficking skyrocketing. Death on the borders mm-hmm. up. Opioid uh, seizures and uh, opioid uh, uh, fentanyl overdoses are at an all-time high. Cartels are making millions of dollars a day. And instead of her going to the epicenter of the issue down at uh, uh, McAllen, where did she go? She went to El Paso, never left an air-conditioned building. She talked to managers. She talked to attorneys for immigrants who wanted even more people to come in and be released quicker. She should have went to the epicenter, to Ground Zero, and talked to the men and women in green. The men and women that work for her, the men and women that put their lives on the line for this country every day. But the reason she doesn't do that because she's not going to like what they say. They're going to ask her, why did you stop building the wall? The wall works. The data clearly shows it works. It helped us. Why did, why did you change the Trump policies? We had an illegal immigration at an all-time low, and you turned and you, you got rid of them. Now we're at an all-time high. Understand that. We went from the historic low. To a, to a record high, because this year more unaccompanied children have crossed that border since January than any time in the history of the Border Patrol. Border Patrol agents are angry because these decisions were made on purpose. This wasn't an accident. This wasn't mismanagement. This is open borders agenda they're pushing. So, of course, you're going to ignore going down the epicenter because they don't want to hear yeah. what the truth is. So one of the things we now know is that they are flying illegals uh, into the country, which we knew they were flying them all over the country. But now we know that they're actually doing them um, from U.S. military bases. And uh, from Lachlan uh, Air Force Base is is one of them in Texas to fly them on passenger planes. Um, Now, my question is, are they using Air Force planes to fly them or are these passenger planes, uh, you know, regular planes that you or I could fly on that are landing at the Air Force Base and taking them across the country? As of right now, it's charter planes, uh, planes that have been chartered by ICE. Uh, But it's still the issue is they're using military uh, facilities. 
and tying military assets up because the you know, military still has to work that airfield. Military still has to fly their own planes in and out of there. And look, this isn't the first time the military is involved. I mean, they're housing a lot of these children on military bases until they come up with new, some of these new welcoming centers. I say welcoming centers on person, but on purpose because they're not detention centers. Right. These are welcoming centers. In fact, if you go to you go to Donna, Texas, the big facility there, they have a big welcome sign in the front door, welcoming for the United States. This, these are what the, what this administration has done, and what you're bragging on. They think it's good. What they have done successfully is getting really good at releasing people quickly. That way, it doesn't appear to be overcrowding at the border patrol facilities. Now they're letting the cameras in. See, nothing to see here. There's no there's no crisis here. No, and they think that's a success. We we process people and release them quickly. That's not a success. That's another enticement because people around the world are watching now. They're saying, okay, well, they're not even being detained. They're being let in. They're being yeah. they're being processed quickly. And the U.S. government is going to pay to get them to their final destination. So is and so my ultimate question when I no, hear this. Enticement. So is this legal? Because I thought that the law says, the law passed by Congress says that, you know, we have a border and there are certain laws regarding who can come into the country, et cetera. It seems to me as if the Biden administration, and I may be totally wrong, but it seems as if the Biden administration is totally ignoring the law passed by Congress. And they're going even further by using taxpayer dollars to break that law. Is this legal? You're spot on. What you just said is exactly accurate. That's why I'm involved with the, the, the lawsuit in Florida. I, I work with the Texas AG in Florida. I'm working with the Texas AG of Texas. I have filed more affidavits for the to Texas AG and Florida AG than I did in my entire career at ICE. Uh, so I'm, I'm their expert witness. And as a matter of fact, we're going to court later this month. And, and we've already won the moratorium fight. We're, now we're going to win the ICE priorities fight and the border fight you know so i've been involved with various lawsuits throughout the country and, and you're exactly right what i've said it many times and i've taken some hate for it but it's accurate we got the first president in the history of this country that's actively facilitating illegal immigration in this country and you're right when the u.s government takes these people who paid criminal cartels to get into the border and into the united states the cartels now they, they can they can wipe their hands clean they're done because the united states government is going to complete that criminal conspiracy by using taxpayer dollars to get them to the final destination and deliver them to the people that hired the cartels to get them to the border. Yeah, now, it, it, and, and, and what's done, amazing... Done, you know, smuggling investigation my whole career, that is a felony. Conspiracy to commit alien smuggling is a felony. So this is why these lawsuits are pending, and we will win them. It's interesting that what, what, what interests me the most about this is that I very vividly remember under the Obama administration, when they were knocked down by the court saying, you know, you can't do uh, when it came to immigration, that they were knocked down on various things to tell them that they couldn't do these, you know, with their programs that they were doing, which was not as, as broad as what the Obama, uh, what the Biden administration is doing. They ignored those court orders. The Biden, the Obama administration just totally ignored them and still did what they want to do. If this was the other way around, the Democrats would have injunctions right out of the box. There would be a, a um, some kind of hold from a judge somewhere saying that, you know, this, this had to cease, this had to stop. They could no longer do it if this were, if this were um, Donald Trump. Why are the Republicans, I guess, so bad at doing that? How can the Democrats are so successful with those motions and the Republicans are not? Well, they all stick together. I I was down in Texas about six, seven weeks ago, and I was with about 20 Republican congressmen and women. 
And we're and I, I, I spoke to Ma and I says, if you don't get your head out of your butts soon, you're never going to win another election in 15 years. Don't you understand what's going on? The Democrats are playing the long game. There's a yes. reason they want open borders. There's a reason that President Biden overturned the census rule. So these millions be counted the next census, which leads to more seats in the House of Democrats, which leads to electoral college, which means perpetual power. They also believe these millions will someday become citizens and, and be able to vote. I says, you guys are sitting back. You, know, you might do a news show here or there, but you're not fighting the fight. This yep. is a fight. You need to be street fighters. You got to stop being so polite and so correct, uh, politically correct, and take this on because this is going to be devastating to this nation. So you're right. Republicans, there, there's a few other races in hell, but many more need to stand up and, and start fighting this with everything or with everything they got. Because I, I look, this is this is this has a terrible ending. If we don't stop this lawlessness on the border, if we don't protect our sovereignty of the nation, this is not going to be the nation that you and I grew up in and we love. This nation is, is radically transforming, and we have, and we and, and border control is a big part of that. Well, that's the, that's the that's the game, though. That is the long game. Uh, President Obama said we will fundamentally transform this nation, and that is exactly what he is doing. He is he is fundamentally transforming this country uh, into something that the socialists love. I I, I want to um oh two other I want to go to um Alexander Mayorkas here, um Secretary Mayorkas. He said something. He was asked about the Cubans, and you know what are we doing about the Cubans? Because I thought, okay, well Haiti, we're going to bring everybody from Haiti. Now we're going to bring everybody from Cuba. But according to him, that's not the plan. Allow me to be clear. If you take to the sea, you will not come to the United States. Migrants who do attempt to enter the United States by sea put their lives at incredible risk. I repeat, do not risk your life attempting to enter the United States illegally. You will not come to the United States. I laughed when I heard that be, because they're risking their lives walking here. Now, I'm supposed to believe that they're walking, you know, 20 miles a day in flip-flops from wherever they're, they're coming from and that it's a safe journey. But if you come by sea, it's somehow life-threatening. It doesn't make any sense. Well, here's what makes that statement just ridiculous, right? Because the data clearly shows. You go to DOJ website and look at immigration court data. The data clearly shows that almost 90% of Central Americans who come to our land border and claim asylum never win their case because either they don't show up or they don't qualify. 90%, that's 9 out of 10 commit immigration fraud. And only 3% of that 90% leave when ordered, so they become fugitives. These, what's going on in Cuba right now, here are people who really, truly, probably will qualify for asylum because they truly are escaping fear and persecution from their home government. And we're going to shut the door on them, people that may really qualify, and, and, and open it to the, the massive fraud going on the southwest border. And, and, and Alejandro Mayorkas is a Cuban. You know, he, he, he came to this country to, you know, uh, I believe refugee status himself. I'm not exactly sure on that, but I know he, he came, I, I believe his family uh, fled Cuba. So, mm-hmm. look, and I'm getting personal on this, but there's, there's a rule of law about who can claim asylum in this country. If you ask me to compare the two, I think Cubans have more right to come and make a case for asylum than the Central Americans do. And, and so, obviously, here we go again. The administration is ignoring the rule of law and who, and, who, and, and who should qualify for asylum. Just very quickly, I just want to go to cut eight, Eric. Uh, Laura Ingram had the Arizona Attorney General Mark Brnovich on, and you talked about you know the attempt to fundamentally change this country. Listen to what he had to say. What Arizonans care about is our public safety. They care about our communities, and we're not stupid. We know that we're on pace to have 
more than 2 million people illegally cross our border. These are record amounts of people crossing. And we know that right now the cartels have taken advantage of it. I mean, heck, they're moving more drugs in America than CVS and Walgreens combined. I mean, this is going to have a devastating impact on our neighborhoods just as far as law and law, public safety. To, uh, millions, millions of people coming into this country illegally, more than two million. That's the, that's larger than a lot of our cities. Will those people ever be sent back or if, hey, you're in, you're in? No, that's right. And I'm glad you brought that up. People need to understand. They think these people can get a day in court and that justice will prevail. And those that were order removed will be removed by ICE. At the same time, they opened the border up. They had decapitated ICE. ICE can no longer arrest somebody for simply being in the country illegally. Understand that. that that's a fact. Being in the country illegally is not enough for an immigration officer to arrest you. Wow. You it's amazing. Felony, you have to be convicted of agri-felony on top of that. So, you know, these people, when yeah. they claim asylum, it take them two to, two to five years through court process. And by then, they'll have one, two, three U.S.C. kids. Then all of a sudden, the public says, Sir, why are you removing that person with yeah. two U.S.C. kids? It's, it's, well, it's I, I, I hate to interrupt you, but we're, we're just out of time. But thank you so much for your time. And thank you for keeping on the Republicans, getting them to fight. Tom Holman, thank you for joining us on The Brian Kilmeade Show. You got it. Thanks. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Information you want, truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I'm Mary Walter sitting in for Brian Kilmeade. We were just uh, speaking with the former acting ICE director, Tom Holman, about what's happening on the border and how what the Biden administration is doing is illegal. But yet Republicans don't seem to be... Um, I don't know, all that concerned about it. Who knows? Maybe they figure they'll benefit from it somehow. I, I want to go to cut six, Eric. This is a Biden, I, the, the nominee for ICE, 
one of them uh, from the Biden administration, Sheriff Ed Gonzalez, who's on Capitol Hill talking about ICE not arresting. There aren't as many as arrests. Listen to what he has to say about it, though. Since this administration has come to office, the number of ICE arrests has plunged. It sounds to me like what's being prioritized is not the husbanding of resources. What's being prioritized is not arresting criminals. You know, in my experience, I I would like to see more data uh, to see what other factors may have played into that to better understand the numbers. It is concerning. Uh, So I would make sure then again that if we're uh, being strategic and we're prioritizing properly, that we could go after those individuals that pose the greatest threat to our communities. I think that's reasonable and appropriate, but we would be aggressive in going after them. But we're not. And you heard Tom Homan say that. And uh, Caroline in Orlando, I'm not going to have time to get to you, but she says, you know, we need to keep on the border issue. And we do. And what did Tom Homan say? It's the hardest thing to get Republicans to focus on. Coming up, Alan West will be joining us. Got a lot to talk to him about as well because he lives in a border state. It's coming up next on The Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From his mouth to to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. We must eliminate funding for CPB, ICE, and their parent organization, DHS. These agencies are inept uh, to humanely guiding migrants through our immigration system and further continue, instead they further continue to terrorize migrant communities. That is uh, Representative Rashida Tlaib speaking last night on what's happening at the border. But joining us now, Alan West, former U.S. congressman out of Florida. He's now running to be the governor of Texas, and he's the author of Hold Texas, Hold the Nation. Follow him on Twitter at Alan West. It's very easy. I follow him. Alan West, thank you for joining us on the Brian Kilmeade Show. How are you? Thanks. It's good to be with you, Mary. Great to hear your voice. Well, I'm so happy that you're joining us because we were just speaking with Tom Homan, the former ICE director, former acting ICE director, about what's happening on the border. And one of the things that frustrates me so much, and he echoed this, and he said he is having such a hard time getting Republicans to be proactive on this. And he pointed out the Democrats are playing the long game. They don't care what they're doing by flying illegals all over the country is Mm -hmm. illegal. They're breaking the law as written and passed by Congress. And if this was the Trump administration trying to stop it, there would be injunctions all over this country that the Democrats got through the courts in, in like two days, 48 hours to stop what he was doing because it's illegal. Republicans for whatever reason, are not proactive. And I think this is a long-running problem. Why? Well, I don't know why. I mean, one of the things that uh, I want to do is rectify this situation on our border as governor of Texas. But when you think about what is happening, the fact that we just learned this week that the Department of Homeland Security has an agreement with the Department of Defense so that illegals are being taken on to military installations like Laughlin Air Base and being flown out, dispersed all across the country. We have a federal government that is abdicating their constitutional duty and responsibility to protect the sovereignty of America, the sovereignty of the state of Texas, but also, Mary, what is very disconcerting, we have a federal government that is participating in human trafficking. Uh, Texas is the number one state in the United States of America for human and sex trafficking. Dallas uh, area where I live and uh, Houston 
we're the top two cities in the country for human and sex trafficking. But yeah, I don't hear any Democrats talking about that. And I think that's a great talking point that the Republicans should be proactive about to say that what Joe Biden is doing, number one, he is enabling human trafficking in the United States of America. And number two, he is creating an economic boom for the uh, boom for the uh, cartels, who are narco uh, terrorist organizations, to the tune of $25 billion a week, $25 million a week. That's what they're making with this human smuggling. We're not even talking about the drug trafficking. And, and it is absolutely a crime what is happening. But see, again, as Tom Homan said, Democrats play the long game and that's how they win. And Republicans sit there and they take the high road and they'll write a sternly worded letter at seeking information. But they don't they don't fight the battle. They don't play as if they're in war. And for me, it is just so frustrating because the rest of us can see this and Republicans, like I said, will write a letter looking for answers and they'll be stonewalled for a couple of months. In the meantime, they're projecting 2 million people coming across our border in just a couple of months. Yeah, you're absolutely right. When uh, during my military career, I learned a lesson from a retired Marine first sergeant by the name of Jim Reifinger. And he said, if you ever find yourself in a fair fight, it's all because your tactics suck. Well, the tactics of the Republican Party, they just suck. They continue to want to do this highbrow approach and writing letters and things of that nature. While uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was down on the border at 2 a.m., and I watched illegal immigrants being ferried across the Rio Grande River and the uh, Roma, Texas area. And we're not doing anything about that. We have not mobilized our National Guard here in the state of Texas. We have not gone after the uh, criminal cartels the and, and the, who are a terrorist organization. We should designate them a terrorist organization so that we can go after the banks. We can go after these stash houses. We can go after anyone that is aiding and abetting illegal immigration. We need to make sure that we can, here in the state of Texas, have the ability to detain, to arrest, and deport because we have a federal government that has abdicated that role of responsibility. And we should not be in allowing buses to just come and pick up illegal immigrants uh, as they cross over the river and then uh, take them to some undisclosed location where they are dispersed across the country. So we need to step up as Republicans and here in the state of Texas with you know the leadership that we have. There's really been an absence of leadership on this issue. Now, I, I know you are running, you are, you are challenging um, Governor Abbott. Uh, he is running for re-election and you, for a third term, and you are challenging him. Um, the state of Texas, though, is now uh, building the border wall, con- continuing it from where the Biden administration stopped it. Do you think that's a good idea? That's not a panacea. And the thing that we have to, and we really aren't, haven't seen any construction start. Texas has a 1,200-mile border with a foreign nation, uh, Mexico, which is really controlled by the narco-terrorists there along that border control zone. Uh, There's only 145, maybe 150 miles of border wall that has been completed. So in the meantime, when you're talking about constructing 1,055 miles of border, what are you going to do? You know, we're not, like I said, we're not mobilizing our guard. We're not making sure that we have the uh, abilities to uh, detain, to arrest and deport individuals since ICE. I mean, Rashida Tlaib, the clip that you just played, they want to get rid of ICE. So then what happens here in the state of Texas? Are we supposed to just allow illegals to, illegals to run rampant? We have several border counties that have declared states of emergencies because of the rampant crime, the, the drive-by mm-hmm. shootings, the, the uh, car high-speed chases, ransacking of grocery stores. You have ranchers that are living in a state of terror. 
So uh, saying that you're going to build a border wall, that's not the, the, the end-all solution. This is a system we must undermine, and the very first thing is we've got to go after the finances and the resources of these cartels that are flowing through the banks here in Texas and across the United States of America. Yeah, it's amazing that that is, that that is being uh, allowed to happen. But the Democrats are, are going to do this. They're going to get all these people, 2 million people uh, estimated. That's not including the, the, the getaways, the gotaways. And mm-hmm. they're going to make all these people citizens. And they're hoping that they vote Democrat. Uh, Democrat. And that's what, that's what the game is. I think most of us can see this. I want you, uh, since we are talking about Texas, I want you to listen to something that our vice president had to say about the Texas Democrats who got on a private jet without masks and with some Bud Light or Miller Light, excuse me, and uh, and and fled the state because they didn't like the vote that was coming up and they didn't want to and they didn't want to uh, have a quorum. So they want to deny Republicans to be able to make a law. So um, like the heroes that they are, they fled. And here's what our vice president said about those Democrats. They took bold, courageous action. Um, in line with the legacy of everyone from Frederick Douglass to the legacy that includes all those women who marched down Pennsylvania Avenue for women's right to vote, to all of those folks who shed their blood on the Edmund Pettus Bridge to make sure that we would, in 1965, pass the Voting Rights Act. And now we have in 2021 the Texas legislature, many of them, traveling to Washington, D.C. at great sacrifice, both personally and political, to stand up for Americans' right to vote unencumbered. She made it sound like they were the Donner Party heading out with great sacrifice and they left their homes and their families and, 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 yeah, and they hopped on a private jet. Yeah, that was uh, quite delusional, the comments from the vice president. And understand this, one of my one of those uh, individuals up there is my state representative, Retta Bowers, who uh, in the military, we would say that they are AWOL. We would say that this is a yes. dereliction of duty. And think about how insidious this is. You have state representatives for a sovereign state like Texas fleeing, uh, abdicating their duties to go to Washington, D.C. on private jets. And what they are doing is they're advocating for the federal government to take over elections, nationalize elections, to undermine the sovereignty of the state that they're supposed to be representing. Only Democrats could come up with something so stupid as that. And so if I were governor, I, as soon as those planes had landed, I would have declared those state representative seats vacant, uh, vacated, and we would have called for new special elections. And if they want to stay up there, continue to be entertained by the vice president, they can. But we're going to have people down here that will do the business of the state of Texas. Now, imagine if this were, were Republicans have <laughs> fled a blue state. And, and got on private jets with Miller Lite and gone up there uh, to Washington, D.C., what would the mainstream media be saying right now? And oh, so this hypocrisy is, is laughable. It is unconscionable. And here in the state of Texas, we've got to continue on to make sure that we have election integrity so that the 2 million illegal immigrants that are coming into the state of Texas don't get the opportunity to vote in our elections. Yeah, absolutely. Now, is, can the state of Texas uh, cut off their stipend if they're not doing their job? Well, absolutely so. I mean, as a matter of fact, what finally happened yesterday, the Texas Speaker of the House, who, you know, for whatever reason, had appointed one of those Democrats to be the uh, second in command in our Texas State House, Speaker Pro Temp, uh, Joe Moody from El Paso, he just said that he has revoked his uh 
his uh, speaker pro temp status, but we still have some of them as committee chairs, as vice chairs of committee in our Texas State House. But yes, they should cut out their per diem. But again, I think the most important thing is just say we're going to hold special elections in September for all of these seats because they've been vacated. Now, do you think that will they be arrested when they come back to Texas? Uh, I doubt it because you have some of these Democrats that are still here in the state of Texas. They're on social media kind of, you know, thumbing their noses at the governor and the Speaker of the House saying, you know, I'm here in Texas. I'm doing whatever I want to do. Uh, one of them yesterday made a public appearance in Laredo with Representative Henry Cuellar. No one showed up to arrest them. So, uh, you know, again, coming back to Republicans, it's time that we stop with the political tough talk and rhetoric or whatever and just go out there and do stuff. Going on national TV and saying that you're going to arrest people, but then you, you don't end up doing it, it just makes yourself look even more uh, weak and feckless. So, so some of those Democrats are back in Texas then. I did not realize that. How, how many of yeah. them are back? Uh, well, remember, you have 67 total uh, Democrats in the Texas State House. I believe that you have 57 or uh, 58 that are up there in Washington, D.C. The remainder are here in Texas. And none of them have been arrested. None of them have been brought back to the uh, to Austin, to the Texas State House. So, again, it's just a bunch of empty rhetoric coming from, you know, the governor. So is it just I'm, I'm just just a little confused. There are some who are in Texas who did not flee the state but refuse to come to the state house to do their job. Absolutely. They're okay. Still I didn't realize They're that. still derelict of their duties. Absolutely. All right. I was under the impression that they were going to arrest those that went to Washington, D.C. and fled the state. But I would assume if you don't arrest the other ones who refuse to come and do their job, then, you know, it doesn't make a lot of sense to arrest those who fled the state. They do. They do love their public temper tantrums, don't they? The Democrats. I, I just they absolutely do. I just had the picture of, I think it was James Clyburn and a bunch of other Democrats sitting on the floor in, I think it was in the House. And because I they, uh, yeah, it, it was like they basically threw their bodies on the ground and, and you know, called the Republicans poopy heads, right? You know, like four well, year olds. Well, was, you know what that, you know what that reminds you of? It reminds you of the kid that wants to get a certain cereal in the grocery store and throws himself on the floor with a temper tantrum because he didn't get the cereal that he wants. That's the level of petulance that you have with the progressive socialist left. And and if I were a Democrat in Texas, I'd be embarrassed. They really should be. But you know what? They're not because whether you like it or not, they know that it works. It does. The media covers them favorably. It only works. It only works because Republicans allow it to work. And it's very Pavlovian. Yes. If you continue to reward that bad behavior, you get more of that bad behavior. Yeah, it, it truly is. And, you know, you, you've been in Congress. You understand. And I could never be in Congress because the lack of the will to fight would make me crazy. It would just make me crazy. Well, and the Republicans insist on walking in every day and just handing the Democrats their lunch money because they don't even want to fight for that. Well, not here in Texas, and that's why I'm running for governor, because we're not going to be giving Democrats our lunch money down here. We're going to protect our border. We're going to do what is necessary to improve the way of life and standard of living for Texans. And uh, we're no longer going to be the number one state for human and sex trafficking. We're going to get that fixed. Yeah, and, and, and that is that is the thing that's not being talked about enough is the human trafficking, the sex trafficking, the child trafficking that's being done, and the, the fentanyl and the opioids that are pouring across our border mm-hmm. that are coming for your kids. And people, Democrats, for whatever reason, think that this is just never going to harm them and they've got their heads in the sand because it is going to hurt their kids and it's sad. And I guess maybe it has to hit home before eyes are opened and by then 
it's it's going to be too late. Alan West, thank you for your time. We do appreciate it as always, and have a fantastic weekend. Thank you. And it's West, the number four, Texas.com, West4Texas.com to support our campaign. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mary. Your call's coming up, 866-408-7669. Let's talk about immigration. Let's talk about everything you've heard so far. But I also want to talk to you about Republicans not fighting. Is it okay with you, with the way they handle things? And, and you know, I don't know. How do we change it? Is there anything you think we could ever do to change it? It frustrates the heck out of me. And, and I just, I don't know. I guess it's like being a fan of certain sports teams that you're like, you're still a fan and you just like, oh, well, we lost again. But it, it's almost kind of like shared misery and it's what holds you together. It's it's just a weird, I, I don't, it's such a disconnect for me. 866-408-7669 on The Brian Kilmeade Show. A radio show of the people for the people. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Mary Walter in for Brian Kilmeade today. We're just speaking with Alan West. He's running for the governor of Texas. He's challenging Governor Abbott. And we, but a theme, something I just talked to him about and something else that Tom Holman brought up was Republicans. When it comes to the border and a lot of things, Republicans don't fight. And he said that is one of the most frustrating things uh, Tom Holman was saying. One of the most frustrating things he has been dealing with, especially when it comes to the border, is getting Republicans to fight and, and, and not just be polite and, you know, do the right thing. While when your enemy is fighting a, a battle, you have to, too. And that's what Alan West said. If somebody says, oh, yeah, it's a, it's a fair fight, then one of you's not fighting properly. <laughs> if it's a fair fight, it should never be fair. You got you got to fight to win. And that is my frustration with the Republicans. 866-408-7669 is my number. 866-408-7669. In Maryland, Fran, you're on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hello. Good morning. So what do you think about the Republicans and the way they fight? As I was saying uh, to, to your assistant, I, you know, most of the Republicans, I totally agree with your comment, but Mitch McConnell has been a rock. He held that Scalia seat open. He's pushed a lot of judges through. And how much, uh, how many bills have died on Mitch McConnell's desk? So I believe that uh, if it wasn't for Mitch McConnell, yeah, this this country would be a lot different. I'm not a big fan of Mitch McConnell, but he has held fast to the, the values of the Republican Party, but he's a, he's a minority within the party. I think most of the Republicans kowtow to the Democrats, and, you know, they don't, the Republicans don't have the fight that they should have. The one thing, though, I will say, because I have very mixed feelings on Mitch McConnell, I, I, I do think that he is part of the problem with Republicans not hanging together. You know, Nancy Pelosi, they all hang together. Uh, what, whether what she... Even if I think I think if she personally believes what they're fighting for is wrong, she will get them all together to provide, you know, present a united front. And I don't think Mitch McConnell does that. And I think it's part of the problem with the Republicans is that they don't hang together. 
and um, they will form a circular firing squad to their detriment. And sometimes you got to stand for something you don't really believe in if it means, you know, the, the next game. So I'm Mary Walter, and you're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Yep, sitting in the seat for Brian Kilmeade again today, and I'm so happy to be able to do that because there is just so much going on. And I also like uh, getting able to to speak with you as well and get your opinions on things because I also find that interesting as well because uh, Brian has a really, really intelligent audience, except when you disagree with me and then I question it. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Let's get right to it, shall we? Kathy Barnett is joining us. She's a candidate for U.S. Senate in Pennsylvania. You can find her on Twitter, Kelly for the number four truth. So Kelly, uh, Kathy, I would assume for truth. Uh, Kathy Barnett, thank you for joining us this uh, today. Uh, let me ask you, Kathy, is it Kathy for truth? Not Kelly for truth, right? Yes, it's Kathy for truth. So see, you're so on top of things. You caught that. So thank you so much. It is Kathy number four truth. And it's Kathy with a K. Correct. Okay, and so it's K-A-T-H-Y. People spell even the name Kathy so many different ways now to be different. Uh, So Kathy with a K, K K-A-T-H-Y. Now, you've written a book, Nothing to Lose, Everything to Gain, Being Black and Conservative in America. And you talk about liberal policies and what they've done to the black community. And I think a lot of people are starting to wake up and see that. But why is the black community still solidly in the Democrat camp? Because Republicans have not, prior to the previous administration, has never really taken an interest in going in and speaking our story. We have the best story to tell uh, within the Republican Party. But in all honesty, we suck at telling that story. We have the best story. And now, and what, and you know, the overarching theme of my book, you know, I take the black community as a petri dish of, of looking at it to see what happens when Democrats take control of everything. And in the overwhelming majority of black communities, you would be hard pressed to find a Republican anywhere. You would be hard pressed to find a conservative thought in leadership anywhere. And yet you see what happens in these communities time and time again. They leave their people broke, broken, and bruised. And I was putting out a clarion call to the broader American community to say, if we allow these these leftists primarily to take control of our government, then this is what will happen to the broader America. And that's exactly what we are looking at. My book is reading like prophecy of what will happen if we, the American people, allow these leftists to get in control. So is is the African-American community starting to wake up to what is happening? They've got to be saying they're the ones who are the victims of the crime with these defund the police movements throughout their communities. So are they starting to say, wait a minute, maybe this isn't working? 
Listen, black people did not come up with that idea of defund the police. That was created by a white liberal professor living behind a gated community. Black folks want safe streets just like everyone else. And yes, we can look at the numbers that have come out about, you know, what happened in November in, in the 2020 election. And you can see the persuasion um, of, the, of almost every uh, community doubling and their support of President Trump. Because from my perspective, President Trump is truly the only Republican who has ever gone into these various communities and actually made a case. And that is one of the things that, you know, that, that I saw last year when I ran for Congress. I, you know, we were closed down with the quarantine, so I ran out of time in getting to all of these different communities. But as I walked into the various black communities, as I would walk and just walk on stage at Black Lives Matter rallies, take the mic, and just start talking, they would never invite me, but I would go into these communities, take, walk on stage, take the mic, start speaking, to 600 uh, black people easily, and they were applauding. Why were they applauding my conservative message? Because once you get past Democrats and these black gatekeepers and begin to just speak to the black community, the Hispanic community, the Hindu community, the Asian community, they want exactly what everyone else is benefiting from. They just don't have people who have the courage to walk in and, and have that conversation. That is why I'm running, not just for the black community, but for the American community, because our nation is in trouble. Oh, absolutely. And you, you made an excellent point, and I hear this, that when if you really sit and look at it, that conservative values are very closely mirrored in those in those minority communities. You know, the value of a job. A lot of them don't want handouts, just want a job. Give me a job. The left is incredibly racist with their messaging towards especially the African-American community and the Asian community as well. Uh, but especially the African-American community, you're too, based on the color of your skin, you're not smart enough to be able to get an ID to vote. That's just, it, it's the, one of the most <laughs> racist things. And I say it all it the time. So, They're so racist. Yeah. It is so infuriating. Out of all the people groups in America, only black people are too stupid to know how to go get an ID. And I've been black all my life. I know black people <laughs> cross all kinds of zip codes, all economic and social situations, all education levels. And I don't know one black person who does not have an ID. Maybe they lost it. Maybe they misplaced it. Maybe it expired and they're going to get a new one. But I don't know one black person who does not have an ID. I'm even asking my black friends at this point, do y'all know someone who doesn't have an ID? No one knows these people. But what we do know is that Democrats, these leftists primarily, I'm trying to be as nuanced as possible. It's not all Democrats. But these leftists, they are weaponizing the color of my black skin and our history as a nation yes. because they know it's powerful. They're not going to compete on, on values. They're not going to compete on babies being tossed over border walls or women and children being raped along the passage. They're not going to compete on Hunter Biden, the laptop, and why Joe Biden won't take a stand against China and, and, and the fact that China consciously released a virus that has killed over half a million Americans. They're, they're, they can't win on those. They can't win on the inflation and the lack of real growth substantive growth in our nation. So what are they going to run on? They're going to run on racism. And for people like me, it not, doesn't mean they're not going to try to cancel me because they're insidious people. However, 
I get to shine a spotlight on the hypocrisy of the Republican Party because my entire journey, I grew up on a pig farm. I grew up underneath the bottom rung of the economic ladder. I grew up in a home with no insulation, no running water, an outhouse in the back and a well on the side. But what I had going for me is that although I was black, a female, poor, and in the deep south, no one ever told me I was a victim. No one ever gave me a victim psychology. And as a result, I became the first in my family to go and finish college. I spent 10 years in the U.S. Army Reserve where I was accepted into officer candidacy school. I spent time in the financial industry, corporate America, an adjunct professor of corporate finance, authored my first book, and now I'm running for U.S. Senate in Pennsylvania. My story only takes place here in America, and we need to begin to remind the American people why our country is the greatest country that has ever existed, and we need to start defending her now. Let, let, let's talk about about something else that, that is really, um, I think, very destructive, and that's critical race theory and how the black community is is reacting to this. Um, you know, they, the Democrats and the left trot out people with dark colored skin because we're supposed to judge everyone based on the color of their skin. Because if you have white skin and you decry critical race theory, it's because you're a racist. You're a racist. Right. And so, so they, they trot out people with the right skin tone in order to parrot these, these talking points and this very harmful version of America. But yet I see in, especially on college campuses uh, and, and some other places where their message is successful. But what I find interesting is that it's very successful among the white kids. Yeah. Is it as successful with, is, is, among, is it as successful? Racist. <laughs> yeah. They, they, they're taught to hate themselves, which I think is very damaging, but is it as successful with the black students? It, it, it depends, right? Uh, you know, the previous administration had a mantra, make America great again. Critical race theory will make America racist again. And as a black woman married to a black man raising black babies, that is a and girl who grew up in the deep south, that is a very unnerving prospect. It is not something that gives me glee at all. And the American people are talking about it. I did a meet and greet with about 50 doctors. I allowed them to write one question they wanted me to talk about, and I had a nine-year-old pick three questions out. All three were on critical race theory. These are doctors across different disciplines. They could have asked me any question, and I would have um, talked to them about it. They all wanted to talk about critical race theory, and that brings my heart great joy because critical race theory is evil. It will teach our children how to be racist. It will teach little white kids that because of the color of their skin, they're evil, but not only that they're evil, but that they're superior. And they will look at little black kids and say, because of the color of your skin, you're inferior, you're weak. No one really expects much from you. All of your problems are a result of white people and other people. It allows you to take no responsibility for yourself. If it was up to the left, I would still be on that 
uh, pig farm broke and broken and bruised right about now. But it is because I did not see myself as a victim. It's because I did not see myself as inferior that I was able to carve out a life for myself. That is the story that we need to mm-hmm. um, talk about. But they're serious about it. And if we don't begin to rise up and push back and stop being so compliant with these people, they are going to fundamentally change our nation. Everything Obama talked about when he was in office. Absolutely. And, and I'm glad you brought that up because I said I, I say that a lot, that what's happening now is fulfillment of what President Obama said when we will fundamentally change this country. I, I quickly just want I just want to play something here for you. This is Randy Weingarten, the president of, I believe it's the Federation of Teachers, the Teachers Union. And uh, and, and, and here's what she's saying about critical race theory being taught in schools. Critical race theory is not taught in elementary schools or middle schools or high schools. It's a method of examination taught in law school and in college that helps analyze whether systemic racism exists and in particular whether it has an effect on law and public policy. Now, um, I, I'm a little confused by that because if critical race theory is not taught in our schools, it's a law school theory, and it's not being taught to our children, then why are so many Democrats and teachers upset when states ban it being taught in schools? Exactly. And why did about 5,000 teachers just sign a list saying they're going to teach critical race theory, whether uh, even if it is banned by law? Um, but you're right. Listen, we can. It, it's a semantic game with these people, and it is how to make a true statement but still mislead and perhaps tell a lie. We know these people lie. <laughs> people lie all the time. But we know, you know, Democrats are really working on cornering the market on it. They lie all the time. Look at just what we went through with COVID and how they've weaponized time and time again, how they say one thing and get in office and do something completely different. But whether you're talking about whiteness, whether you're talking about white supremacy, whether you're talking about race essentialism, whether you're talking about structural racism, systemic racism, intersectionality, activism, lived experiences over data, changing definition. It doesn't matter what they say. This is a game of semantics. You do not need to become a subject matter expert. You do not need to know we uh, need to know how to name, a, you know, the, the, the founders of it. or the All you need to know is that this is evil. All you need to know is that it is, your, it is, it is incumbent upon every American who loves this country to begin to remi- remind themselves that this nation truly is about we the people. But it is not going to be that way very long. They're using the concept of all of these things I just yes. mentioned, systemic racism, to overturn this nation. Get engaged. Do not allow people to bully you. And go to barnettforsenate.com and donate. I need everyone's help. If you want people who will stand up, speak truth, and defend our values, on a national stage, I don't care where you are, please mm-hmm. go to barnettforsenate.com and donate. And it's Kathy for Truth. 
uh, on Twitter, K-A-T-H-Y, the number four uh, truth. And if you want to get the book, it's nothing to lose, everything to gain being black and conservative in America. And I think it's something that uh, uh, those types of books and those types of uh, a, a different opinion, shall we say, than what you're constantly hearing needs uh, to, to be spread around. And and I, I do think that we're... Uh, as to echo what you said, this is a dangerous rhetoric and you're, it's going to be very hard to put this genie back into the bottle. So it needs to be stopped now. Kathy Barnett, I appreciate your time. Thank you for joining me on the Brian Kilmeade show. Thank you. 866-408-7669. Notice one thing she said there that the Republicans don't, don't capitalize on the message the first black senators and congressmen in this country, African-Americans, were Republicans. They were Republicans. Statuary Hall, every state that had the first black congressman or senator, that statue should be in Statuary Hall. Republicans need to control the message better. 866-408-7669. Your call's coming up on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Challenging conventional thought and wisdom. You're with Brian Kilmeade. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. We were just speaking with Kathy Barnett, who's running for the Senate, U.S. Senate in Pennsylvania. And she talked about the the Republicans and their inability to message to the black community. And, you know, knowing that the first African-American congressmen and, and um, senators were African-Americans. They, they weren't Democrats. The Democrats were still, you know, running around in the KKK. It was Republicans and Republicans. Every state that had a, 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 the first black senator from that state uh, should absolutely have that senator's statue in Statuary Hall. Republicans need to teach because history is being rewritten and they're being written out of history. And the re- Democrats are co-opting the Republicans record as their own. And they don't do it. Well, 866-408-7669 is my number. I want to go to Brian in Marshall, Illinois. Uh, Brian, let's talk about this. How are you? Hi, how are you doing? Good, doing great. Go ahead. uh, You're one of the best uh, BKS uh, fill-ins. Thank Um, you. One of the things that the Republicans don't do is they don't sell their message at all. Yes. The the, uh, Georgia... And Texas uh, voter laws go above and beyond what anybody else has, but they didn't sell it at all. And they let Biden say it's Jim Crow 2.0. If they would have sold it first, then he would have had nowhere to go. He yep. couldn't have said anything about it. And Shannon Breen was on Kill Me uh, Tuesday, I think, and she was saying that a lot of the uh, get out the vote uh, uh, initiatives are actually helping people get IDs. Yeah, you know, you're so right, Brian. Uh, They just don't sell their brand. More of your calls coming up right here on The Brian Kilmeade Show.
Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. I'm not Brian Kilmeade. I'm Mary Walter sitting in for Brian Kilmeade today. If you'd like to join me, I would love to hear from you. 866-408-7669. That's 866-408-7669. And I want to talk about the gap in America. And I'm going to go through some of these. This is a new Gallup poll. And there's a big split in this country between Democrats and Republicans, left and right. Also, there's some splits, obviously, between African-Americans and the white community. And I want to know if we can mend this split. Can we ever get back to where we were before? Because when I have this conversation with my friends, they're like, nope, it's over. It's done. This country will never be united again. And isn't that the point? That's what keeps our overlords in power right? We have a ruling class in this country and they will divide us because if they can divide us, it's easier to govern a people that is not united. If you're tribes, if you're little tribes, you want your guy in. It's be, we, we're becoming tribal. And that is one of the first steps in the downfall of a society. You've got the Capitol police now being made into a national police force, which by the way is illegal. But Nancy Pelosi is setting up Capitol Police offices in California and Florida to hunt down the opposition, to hunt down Trump supporters who might have been, uh, dared to be in Washington, D.C. on January 6th. That's scary. So I just want to go over to some of these, and I want to get your take on whether we can ever go back. 866-408-7669. They found a 45%, excuse me, a 45-point split in trust of the police. 76% of Republicans trust the police versus 31% of Democrats. And that is very, very harmful rhetoric because look what is happening in our big cities when it comes to uh, to crime. I was just having a conversation with Eric, our engineer here. I have to go to Philadelphia next week and I'm going to be in Philly overnight by myself. And I have about a 10 minute walk, you know, like 10 o'clock in the morning. I am legit worried. I'm doing, you know, he said, do Google Street View. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm going to do that to see what the area looks like. But even if it's a nice area, someone can come up behind you and just, you know, punch in the back of the head, knock you to the ground and steal everything you own. I'm, I'm legitimately worried. I'm like, well, do I take an Uber for like a 10 minute walk? Will anybody even do that? I don't even know if I should do that. And, and you look further, uh, you see 56% of white adults trusting the police with only 27% of black adults. When we don't trust our law enforcement, those who are supposed to protect us, then we have a problem. Are all cops good? No, but neither are all politicians. Neither are all teachers. Neither are all garbage collectors. Neither are all doctors. Neither are all plumbers. But to paint them all with that one brush is, is doing us all a disservice and making America less safe. And that makes it less safe for you. makes it less safe for your kids. Uh, With Biden in the White House, 62% of Democrats say they trust the presidency. Only 13% of Republicans say they trust uh, the presidency. Uh, Democrats trust the media by double digits more than Red America does. That's that's more than than a 20% split in in Democrats versus Republicans in their trust of the media. We can't trust the people who are telling us the quote-unquote news. 
Trust in U.S. institutions has dropped 10 points in the last 10 years. Police, only one of three institutions in which a majority of Americans express confidence. 51% overall say they trust the police. Small, 70% trust small business, not large business, small business. 69% trust the military. The small business and the military have consistently led this um, poll since 1973. At the other end of the spectrum, Congress, TV news, big business, the criminal justice system, and newspapers have the lowest ratings with a confidence rating at at or below 21%. Congress, only 12% of Americans trust Congress. Only 18% trust big business. They have ranked at the bottom of the list since 07. So we have a huge split. The split is getting bigger and bigger and it is being um, politicized. It's being done on, I personally believe it's being done on, on purpose and you can disagree with me, but I think it's being done on purpose to divide us so they can conquer us, so they can control us. And uh, look, you, you know, we went from two weeks to flatten the curve, what, a year and a half ago to now you can't post anything or say anything that disagrees with the government stance in, 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 in 18 months. Think about that. You cannot disagree with the government's uh, position on COVID so much so that the Biden administration now is talking about censoring your private text messages if it if it contains something that the government disagrees with. It's going to start with COVID and it's going to go from there. 866-408-7669. How do we get the genie back in the bottle? Joe on WABC listening in Queens. Joe, how are you? Hey, how's it going? Uh, I just wanted to make a comment on your last, uh, you know, uh, interview uh, with that lady. Uh, she was Kathy Barnett. About how, uh, yeah, Kathy. Uh, yeah, she was doing a great job. Uh, she uh, mentioned how, like, the voter ID, how people in itself saying that you can't get a voter ID is racist in yes. itself because you're saying that they are incapable of uh, that community is incapable of getting it for themselves. They are less than and they don't know how to or they don't have the means to because they're uh, some sort of victim. This is, this also pertains to the N-word. So my name, you know, I, I, I grew up in Queens my whole life. You know, I, I, I'm a product of the public system. You know, I'm, I'm a white kid from an urban area. But because I'm from this area, I, my favorite athletes are black. My favorite artists are black. And I can't recite the same words and lyrics from this like from these songs because yep. they have the n-word in it but and that right there says that you can't distinguish the if i'm saying it as a term of endearment like calling you what up brother or saying it as in like a joke like ah oh, you, you know whatever mm-hmm. or say like you know like i don't like you know i'm polish what if you I... call me a dumb pole i could tell it's a joke yeah whatever you call me a dumb pole great you know um what's it called or if it's saying something like you know nasty like if i call you a dirty blah 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 you know what i mean then it's you're saying that they can't distinguish whether I'm saying it's a term of endearment or not, but within their own community, they can distinguish it. So, and then you're telling me that this word is a bad word and only bad people could say it, you know? So like, so let me, let me ask you, let me ask you though, uh, and sorry to interrupt you. What, what do you, since you have clearly grew up in the community, you have clearly lots of friends who are black and Hispanic. How do they feel about all this? What do they say about this? Within within the community, they give me the end pass where I know I could say the N word in front of them. I could say, what up, my whatever, 
but I'm not going to say it on the radio. And I yeah, would never you. say it in front of someone I don't know. Because if I say it in, some, in front of someone I don't know, they might take it out of context and they don't understand that. I'm coming out of a loving, you know, nature. I'm not saying it as in like, yes, you know, but, okay, uh, but terms. Yeah, let me just drill down here. You talk about voter ID and how, how, you know, the assumption that because they are black based on the color of their skin, they cannot get a voter ID. Do they see the racist racism that comes out of the Democrat Party? What, what are they illiterate? They can't manage their time. They can't go to the DMV and get a, you right. know, a, a driver's license or a regular resident card or whatever it is. Like, but do they see that racism? That do they do they see and acknowledge? Do they see and acknowledge the racism coming out of the Democrat Party, or do they vote Democrat because they're black? They, they just vote Democrat because they're black. It's the easy thing to do. It's human nature. It's what's easier. I don't need to think about it. That's racist. I could just look at you and say, I don't like what you're saying. That's racist. Instead of examining and the complexity of what I'm trying to tell to you, you know, you're going to just say it's racist and that's it and shut it down. And that's the easiest thing to do. And that's what everybody does. Yeah, it's sad because it's going to be maddening uh, that, you know, that they can see this. They can see that it's racist. And listen, Kamala Harris is the one who taught me that Joe Biden's a racist. She taught me that during during the debates that Joe Biden's a racist. And I look at some of the things Joe Biden has says, you know, if you if you don't vote for me, you ain't black. Are you kidding me? But he got away with it. But I guarantee your friends would not give Donald Trump the same pass with that comment. So I think they are aware. And I don't think that it's just because it's easy in a lot of situations. I just think it's the way they've been conditioned over time that you're black, you vote Democrat and you don't even think about it. And that that should somewhere along the line click in their brains that that thought right there in and of itself is racist. So I, um, I, I don't I don't understand it. It will always be a disconnect for me. And it's a disconnect for me with my friends who you know belong to unions and always vote Democrat just because they belong to unions, even though they know that it goes against their best interest and goes against, you know, what, what is going to make them prosper. So that doesn't make any sense to me either. Joe, thank you for sharing your story. That, that I'm glad you shared that because a lot of people don't have that experience, but I get very frustrated because they can see that this is happening. Let's go to Virginia. Marvin, you're on the Brian Kilmeade show. Hi. Hi, Mary. Hey, you have two things. One, uh, number one is really glad to hear you back on the radio. I'm a great fan from mornings on the mall with you and Vince. I Thank thought that you. was a, I was, I was on a, I was in a car when you guys, uh, when you announced that you were going to, you weren't going to be back on there and then Vince was going to get another show. But also short, we really miss you in the morning, even though Larry's pretty good. Thank uh, but, you. Uh, we still miss you here in Virginia. Thank you. And uh, I'm, I'm a, almost 73 years old. And the, the lady, uh, Catherine Bennett, needs to be, that's the kind of message that needs to go out to the black community because it, more blacks are either going to have to run or uh, Republicans are going to have to get a spine and go and talk to black people. That's been the issue all along. I've been I, I've been a Republican since I was a young kid, and th- believe me, growing up in segregation, I, I had a little bit of a tough road. And I grew up in Jim Crow, uh, Jim Crow, so I I know that I drank from a white fountain with the name the White Fountain and Black Fountain. Me and my brother and I both we switched off to see whether there were any difference, and we realized it wasn't. So you know <laughs> these kinds of things have got to be articulated to the black community because. Blacks know it, but for whatever reason, just like the guy before me was saying that these guys want to go there, and I know exactly what he's talking about because I got white friends, and I don't use the terminology, but however, a lot, a lot of black or whites that I know that's in the black community do. 
And as like he says, a term of endearment. But, you know, where do you go with that? So this is why I'm saying that people have the Republicans need to put out the word. They need to talk about history. What happened? You know, the whole thing that, you know, that this whole Marxist Black Lives Matter crap is just exactly that crap. And they need to be talking to that issue because I do. And I'm, I'm just saying, wake up and I, I, I donate. I'm a Trump supporter. I have done everything I possibly can. I live in a, a kind of blue part of Virginia and yeah. I'm down in Chesapeake. Mm-hmm. However, there's a lot of conservatives out here, but still the blacks still, a lot of them still go. And I got them in my family and I fight with them all that to include my last brother that I have living. You know, I slap him around all the time because I keep telling him, you're stupid voting for Democrats, you know. But a lot of these people have gone to the point where they depend. I remember when they did they did the whole thing with money and getting, uh, getting support. People will, if you're going to tell somebody you don't have to work and I'm going to pay you, Guess what, folks? They're going to do it. And and uh, not everybody. I mean, because I didn't do it. But that's because I have pride. I have. I want to work for them. I, I've learned somewhere along the line that this is where you go. You know, and, and my Christian values and all the other things, my work ethic, all through that. Well, when I went to high school, it was all black high school. And guys in black high school, all these guys came out of there. They had all these great scholarships going to West Point, Princeton, Harvard, all that. I didn't. But I had to go to Norfolk State. But I went to Norfolk State. But I worked hard for everything I earned. I, I know what it means yeah. to grow up on a dirt floor and not have a and not have a toilet in the house and have a bucket and all this kind of stuff. But I didn't let that hold me back. If somebody tell me that I can't do something, I'll slap the taste out of their mouth. You know um, what? Well, thank you so much for sharing your story, Marvin. This is great. Thank you for your kind words as well. I blame the generation, there's a generation somewhere in there, and and maybe it's it's the it's the end of the baby boomers, you know, those who raised the millennials, that didn't teach those lessons, and they allowed our schools to quote unquote teach those lessons, and those lessons never got caught. And this is what happens when you abdicate parenting, and and yeah, will there always be people who want to take the easy way out? There sure are. I mean, look at the difference between you and your brother. Uh, that that's going to happen. But I really, really um, blame a generational disconnect where um, an entire generation never, ever taught the kids why we're Americans, why your relatives, your ancestors came to this country, and and on and on, and and what you were taught, and the value of hard work. You know, what was it? Um, I think it was uh, Booker T. Washington who said there's uh, value in in tilling the soil of the land, like there's value in every kind of work. And, And it's true. It really is. And I probably screwed up that quote and I am apologizing to everyone in advance. All right. More of your calls coming up. 866-408-7669 on the Brian Kilmeade Show. There's no topic he won't touch. And there's no opinion he won't engage. It's one of the great joys of my life. Call in with yours at 866-408-7669. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. 
Mary Walter in for Brian Kilmeade. We're talking about a new Gallup poll that found this huge gap between the left and the right and our trust in institutions. And what I find so interesting is, have you noticed it's flipped? Back in like the 60s, the late 50s, 60s, it was the far left that was don't trust the man and they were against government. And and now they've become the government. Bernie Sanders was one of those people. Now Bernie Sanders, you know, when he was one of those people back in the 60s, you know, got married in, in he took his honeymoon in Russia, big socialist, you know, probably, probably out in hate Ashbury, you know, long hair, which is a frightening thought. And, and now he's part of the establishment. He was, he was part of the don't trust anyone over 30 crowd. Now he is over 30 and part of the establishment and everything that he espoused distrust for, they now espouse trust for. It's all flipped. And now it's the people on the right who don't trust the government for the most part, obviously not all, but for the most part, don't trust the government. Can we ever come back together as a country or is this gap just too big now? Very quickly, Jeff in North Carolina, you're on the Brian Kilmeade show. Hi. Hey, how you doing? First of all, I'll say thanks for motivating me to David. I don't, I don't believe in your politics. I don't believe in your first guest politics and even the last guy who talked to you, but I understand uh, what the, the previous caller before him was talked about. And that's where we need to start from proof. He is the only one that I that I understand from my perspective that has, has has spoken truth, and I'll tell you why. Like your first caller, a couple of years ago when when Trump first started running, I, I'm not into that Republican Democrat thing because that makes you tribal. So what? So I've been I've been I voted for both parties throughout my whole life. I was born during Jim Crow, like your previous caller. Mm-hmm. But the Republican Party, I like her. So when when Trump was running, I'm a New Yorker, so I said let me let me go let me go to the Republican Party and go in there and see what's going on. And there was a guy named Dallas Greenhouse who was the head of the party. I think they fired him since then. Um, I was the only black person there, and there's one other minority there. Um, she was a Filipino lady married to a, a, a white guy down here. So besides that, the whole room was white, but it really didn't matter to me. And plus, we had some young college students there who were who were eager to learn about more about yeah, the Republican we, Party. We literally, so, so, excuse you know, me, we literally have one minute, and I find your call interesting. Okay, so if okay, you could just me, get me, to the meat of it, that'd be great. I'm gonna tell you, I'm gonna tell, I'm gonna tell you, I'm gonna tell you why Republicans don't reach out to to to, to blacks because they don't want to. Period. There's there's, there's no reason they want. Dallas Greenhouse made it clear to me, and I, and, and I left that room that he considered us others. The Republican Party as a whole wants to hold on to their base, which is conservative, and, and it's southern. And, and that is, they have always been against black people throughout the history of this country. And when we only have two major parties, that's tribal. We, this country has never been together. 16, 19, 1776. And I challenge you to ask this one question. MAGA, when was that? Well, okay. We, we, unfortunately, I wish we had more time because you bring up a lot of very interesting points. But I will say to you to look at history because the Democrat Party was founded in order to keep slavery in the South in this country. So... Just might want to look at that. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Live from the Fox News radio studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. How are you? Yes, I am Mary Walter sitting in this seat for Brian Kilmeade today. Coming up, uh, Shannon Breams is going to be joining us. And um, 
we're, there are a couple of things I want to talk to her about, including voter fraud. And I believe we have Shannon. Shannon is now with us, host of Fox News at Night, chief legal correspondent and author of Women of the Bible Speak. By the way, uh, we spoke to her about that book on this show. Um, it, it is really a fascinating book. Uh, you can follow her on Twitter at Shannon Bream. Pretty easy. Shannon, thanks for joining us. Great to be with you, Mary. Yeah, I, I tell you this every time. You know, we interview, we interview authors and you try to get into the book and stuff. I just devoured it. I really liked that book. So Aww. I'm not saying that to be Thank kind. You so much. It's a really good read. So I like it. Well, you know what? This, the, we talked about this, but the stories are truly fascinating on yes. their own. Like, I didn't need to add anything to them, but to put them in this collection, I think for some people, it's just. Um, you know, it, it's a more convenient way than uh, picking up your Bible and reading, tr- you know, trying to find 20 different stories in there. Um, these are all just great stories. And I learned a lot in the process and was very inspired. Yeah, no, it, clear, it clearly comes through. So I, I just I just want everyone to know, I'm not saying that just because, you know, she she's my guest right now. <laughs> I truly, really read the whole Thank book and it's really great. Um, okay, moving on. Uh, you were on The Five last night. You guys talked to, you, I know you had a, a somewhat of a shortened uh, session last night on The Five because um, Joe Biden was mumbling with Angela Merkel. Someone was speaking in German. Luckily, I speak German, so I didn't understand all of it. But at oh. least I understood her as opposed to Joe Biden because I don't speak mumble. So um, uh, I had a hard different time languages, with different skills. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But you know, the we're, we we're getting from the White House now that um, they've been consulting with Facebook to quote flag information, and this came out through Jen Saki, and she said that we are in regular touch with social media platforms uh, to make this happen for misinformation on the pandemic. And in response to that, a friend of mine posted, "Boy, we went from you know." Uh, how many days to flatten the curve to now uh, to, to now having, you know, so, excuse me, censorship of your comments about COVID. So we went from, you know, just flattening the curve. It's only going to be 14 days. It's going to be super easy. Don't worry about it to you cannot say anything that goes against the government when it comes to this. Now, how did that happen? Well, and think about, too, a year ago, some of the things that would get you censored or blocked from posting on one of the social media platforms is information that's now in the mainstream as viable, legitimate information. So that is where I think we run into trouble about who's going to decide what's disinformation or misinformation, because things that were clamped down on a year ago are now freely posted and and viewed by a much broader audience as legitimate things for discussion. So are things that are, are clamped down on now, some of them a year from now, we're going to realize that was ridiculous. There was merit to that idea. They shouldn't have been censoring it. I think that's the whole thing you run into because um, – and, and I think, too, for the White House, they open themselves up and the social media companies do to potential trouble because if it looks like you're working together, um, are, are people now going to have an even stronger argument that some of these big tech companies are acting as state actors or yeah. as pseudo-government entities – and I think they got to be very cautious about that. Well, that's what I was going to ask you next with Section 230 and those protections that they have. If they are a, a branch of the government, an arm of the government, they lose those protections. But it says to me that they truly don't care about that. They don't think it's going to happen. They think, I would guess, that Democrats are going to be in power forever. And that and that if they're not, Republicans won't even address it. Republicans could have addressed it and never did. So there doesn't seem to be a fear from them of losing the, those protections protections. Yeah, because there's been some, as we all know, some bipartisan concern about uh, big tech, and they've never really come together on 
um, a unified strategy on dealing with some of these issues. But this kind of thing may actually put them in the crosshairs, and I'm not sure that they are going to want that. Um, but if people look at them and say, listen, they're being directed essentially by the left or by Democratic politicians or the White House, which is controlled you know, by Democrat now at this point, um, do they open themselves up to those broader conversations about repealing 230 or doing other things uh, that will impact their ability to take actions without uh, as many consequences as some other public forums are going to have to face. So um, I think it's very complicated for them. And as much as when former President Trump's lawsuits arrived on the scene a few days ago and most people immediately shot them down, he doesn't get this, the First Amendment doesn't apply to private companies, well, the more this kind of thing comes up, um, I think the more it bolsters the theory that he's arguing and the legal arguments he's trying to make about them being so closely intertwined with the government. Yeah. And and I love that the same people who will tell us that, you know, private companies can do whatever they want, will sue a baker into oblivion for not making <laughs> a cake they want. So. Or flowers. Don't forget those. <laughs> and yes, the woman, yes, the, the poor florist, uh, her as well. Um, I want to move on to these, these voter integrity laws. And the left is definitely controlling the messaging when it comes to this, uh, which is not a surprise because Republicans rarely control the messaging when it comes to issues. And the rest of us sit here and, and just scream to ourselves because they should be controlling that message. Um, didn't we have record voter turnout during the 2020 election? Yeah, and that's something that even Texas authorities, where obviously this whole thing is blowing up, this conversation, will tell you that, you know, they had some new voter protections even, I think it was about 10 years ago, they passed some new things, and they were told then this is going to suppress the vote, and yet their numbers have continued to be up across all um, different backgrounds, ethnicities, all of that, they say, in the last 10 years. So the prediction then didn't come true, and I said, well, listen, all right, we've got to see where you go from here, and they feel confident that you know, the next time around, they're also going to have record turnout. So, you know, it sparks a, a lot of conversations, especially when there's so much misinformation. And I think if you read the text of the bill yourself, you can draw conclusions then about whether you think these are sane measures. I mean, 80 percent of Americans say that they are for voter ID. I don't think that's as controversial as the left would want to portray it sometimes. Uh, and when you have so many of these states where they'll come to your house to give you the ID, or they will give you a ride, or they will pay every expense associated with getting that ID. In Texas, you can also give the last four digits of your social security number, which it's going to be exceptionally rare that there's somebody born into this country or assimilated into this country at some point legally who doesn't have a social security number. Well, yes. And the fact that the left keeps painting the African-American community as incapable of obtaining and an ID to me is just beyond racist and is something that the le- the right should absolutely be capitalizing on because most of us see that for the racist rhetoric that it is that you are less than and you are incapable. So we're here to help you through that arduous process to, to function in this country. It's it's you know it's like Kamala Harris saying that the rubes in the middle of the country they can't even make a photocopy of an ID. You know, the, the, the rhetoric that comes from the left is so demeaning to so many people, and yet they mm-hmm. get away with it. It's unreal. Well, it truly is. Yeah, and I don't think that translates into most people's real life. I mean, they hear those comments and see that, and, and most of us look around and say, okay, of course we want to help anybody who's going to have trouble voting, whether it's because of a disability or the, an idea or whatever. Uh, 
But most of us can't figure out who that would be. Um, you, you know, I don't know somebody who doesn't have an ID. It means it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Um, but I think all good people coming from a good place, a pure place, want to make sure that every American who legally is uh, able to vote can do so. Um, you know, it, it's portrayed otherwise, I think, uh, by people who are opponents of some of these state measures. Um, but again, look at the Texas situation, and you can see um, as they're hiding out in D.C., uh, the Democratic mm. lawmakers, there's so much in the way that the media covers it. And these are, you know, freedom fighters and these are, you know, uh, patriots and whatever. It, but then I looked at the headlines. I pulled them up yesterday from Oregon when the GOP lawmakers up there started doing the same thing, not showing up um, for, you know, a controversial vote, that kind of thing. And the headlines and the op-eds then literally were saying it's subverting democracy it is um, – they're running from doing their jobs. This is despicable. They're getting paid. They should be showing up. Um, you could never superimpose those headlines over what's happening now with the Texas Democrats. It's just a total double standard. Yeah, well, we all we all know that, which is why we were just we were talking uh, about this poll out of Gallup that shows, you know, the media is one of the most mistrusted the, or one of one of the least mm-hmm. trusted uh, institutions in our country. And there's good reason for that. Since I, I would like to talk about these um, audits that are happening in Fulton County, Georgia and in Maricopa County, Arizona, and some of the reports that we're getting out. Now, you know that there's some interesting information coming out when the Democrats are now uh, auditing the the auditors. You know, they're they're now mm-hmm. going after the some of these companies and saying, well, we, we're going to find out who these people are and, and that are doing these audits. So you know that there's problems. You know, uh, Fulton County, Garland uh, Favorito, who founded Voter Georgia, came out and said that they revealed that 923 of 1,539 mail-in ballot batch files contained votes incorrectly reported in the official results. The error reporting rate in Fulton County's hand count auto uh, audit was 60 percent. That's huge. That's just not a couple of votes here and there. We're talking about a 60 percent difference. That's a big deal when you're looking at the audit. Yeah. And in some of these states where the votes were really close, I mean, relatively, when you're talking about thousands of votes uh, against, you know, tens of millions that were cast, um, it raises a lot of questions. And people feel like at the time, um, the protections that they had hoped to rely on in the courts or anything else, that it was rushed through and that people um, were very worried about looking like they were interfering in the democratic process by asking some of these questions. So, I mean, we're, we're learning new things every day. And when you have people who will put up ballots and show um, very specific ballots with very specific markings and show that they were counted more than once, um, it's clear there are always going to be errors. But the question has to be, is it enough to make a difference? And was there, um, was it a mistake or was there intentional, um, you know, interference with the ballots or with, um, you know, trying to deceive. Um, so I think more information is better the more that we can get and see this stuff and have questions answered. Um, I think the lack of transparency gives people a lot of concern when they feel like they can't see for themselves what happened and get an explanation. Yeah. And they showed video of a worker who was sitting there feeding, you know, ballots through the counting machine, straightening them and then putting them back in again. Now, that says to me that she didn't know her how to do her job or did know how mm-hmm. to do, do her job and was not doing it properly. But those are questions that need to be asked. And and, and mm-hmm. 
I, I wonder why when the Democrats, um, I guess, scream that loudly about something, when either side screams that loudly about something, I kind of wonder, like my, you know, my mother used to say, it sounds like you're protesting too much. You know, <laughs> it's one of those types right. of things. Well, it's like the situation we had. I can't remember if it was Philadelphia or Detroit, where during the process where people were supposed to, by law, be able to look and, and yes. the parties have representatives there to watch and they're putting poster boards up. That immediately to people, I think, was one of those turning points, like, what's going on here? And if there's nothing to hide, why are we putting up poster boards so that people can't watch this process? Uh, And that's one of the things, too, that's in the Texas law is that there is um, complete transparency for people of either party to be able to sit there and actually be physically able to see what's going on. So that's only going to give people more confidence, I think, in the end result, uh, if they can see what's going on and, and don't feel like people are being blocked from the process where you can't go back in time then and see exactly what happened. That only leaves more questions for people about exactly what went, went beyond, went on beyond those uh, closed doors. Yeah. You know, in, in, in Georgia, they had um, these um, audit tally sheets contained fabricated votes for their respective respective batches for seven of these auto tally sheets. For instance, um, a batch containing 59 actual ballots for Joe Biden, 42 for Donald Trump, zero for Joe Jorgensen were reported as 100 for Biden, zero for Trump. The seven batches of ballot images with 554 votes for Joe Biden, 140 votes for Donald Trump, 11 votes for Joe Jorgensen. The tally sheet in the audit showed 850 votes for Biden, zero votes for Trump and zero for Joe Jorgensen. So it looks, it sounds as if the audit itself was was not done properly. And what happens, you mentioned, and I bring this up, the reason I wanted to go through those numbers is because you made a really good point. There, There is no chain of custody. There is no knowing whether things were done purposely. We're never going to know that. We're never going to know if that woman was putting those uh, ballots through the machine over and over again because she thought that's what she was supposed to be doing. And then we need to find out why was she trained so poorly. Or was it something that was done, being done maliciously? And those are the questions that people want answered. And I fear we mm-hmm. don't get those answers. And if you don't get those answers, how do you fix the problem? Yeah, and the more that you get away from this in the sequence of time, then people, right, I mean, uh, somebody who was a contract worker or you know a, a short-term employee or a temp employee for some of these elections, how do you track them down and go back and recreate these steps? And I think, like you said, any time that a tally sheet comes out with zero votes for somebody, not just a random third-party candidate, but somebody who's currently the president of the United States, that immediately is going to be a red flag to people. Like, that just doesn't smell right. I mean, you can't tell me, you know, there were um, some precincts I remember um, during the election with Mitt Romney that he got zero votes, you know, in an entire county or precinct. Uh, I think it was in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania, Um, Nothing, there's no way that could happen. But, you know, people are going to have serious questions when they see numbers like that. One more quick question, because Eric's yelling at me to to let you go. Um, Nancy Pelosi has dispatched the Capitol Police to Florida to set up field offices in Florida and California. I didn't think we were allowed to have a national police force. Is this legal? Yeah, I mean, a lot of it, you know how many agencies there are in D.C., how many police forces, how many, I mean, there are dozens and dozens of them. And some of them have reach, yes, outside of uh, the Capitol. Um, We'll see what they're up to. I think that she has enough opposition on Capitol Hill that's going to be asking questions and demanding to know what these people are doing in other states, uh, that hopefully it's a very transparent process. (laughs) Well, on that humorous note, Nancy Pelosi and transparency, good for you. That was funny. (laughs) 
<laughs> Shannon Bream, I'm thank- pretty optimistic. <laughs> Good for Well, somebody has to. I appreciate it. Always a pleasure when I get to speak with you. Thank you so much for joining us. Have a great weekend. Thanks, you too. Your call's coming up right here on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Expanding your knowledge base, it's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Radio that makes you think. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. I'm Mary Walter sitting in for Brian Kilmeade today. We were just speaking with uh, Shannon Bremen. We were talking about voter fraud and these audits that are being done in Fulton County, Georgia and Maricopa County, Arizona. And Tucker Carlson broke down what uh, the report out of Fulton County, Georgia said. And uh, so we're going to walk through it as much as we possibly can. But um, I highly recommend you go to foxnews.com and you can listen to uh, the video. You can watch the video there and and see everything and what uh, Tucker is talking about. So what happened was, and I'm going to just set this up for you because this is what he's talking about. He's talk, he starts out talking about a warehouse. And in late May this year, on a Saturday night, an alarm sounded in this warehouse in Fulton County, Georgia. It was, uh, was under surveillance around the clock by both private security and local law enforcement, including armed deputies with the Fulton County Sheriff's Office. And any person entering has to get past a 100-pound locked steel door, and motion detectors. And someone tried to do it at just the 20 minutes after the deputies in charge of guarding the warehouse left their posts. This left their posts. This is supposed to be under, around, under the clock, you know, around the clock surveillance, kind of like those guards of Jeffrey Epstein. Remember him? Never found out about that either. Um, but the, by the time the deputies returned, someone had opened the door to the warehouse. We don't know what happened that night. So I'm going to leave you and I'm going to let Tucker pick it up coming up next to explain where we go from there in the audit in Fulton County, Georgia. This is very interesting and you don't want to miss it. I'm Mary Walter on the Brian Kilmeade Show. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Depending on who you ask, the building contains evidence that either confirms or refutes the claim that voter fraud affected the outcome of the 2020 election in the state of Georgia. Georgia is a place that Joe Biden won by fewer than 13,000 votes. That warehouse holds more than 140,000 absentee ballots. Now, what's interesting is that for reasons that are difficult to understand, Fulton County officials have refused to let the public see any of these ballots. You can't have a democracy if the public doesn't believe election results. Increasingly, many people in this country don't believe them. The solution to that problem, and it's a significant problem, is not to scream at these people, call them lunatics, or throw them in jail. The solution is to tell the truth about what happened. The only way to restore trust in our system is with facts. All right, so Tucker was talking about that warehouse that I told you about where these ballots are being held. 
and they refuse to let the public see the ballots. Well, listen, I can understand why you don't want the public to see, but you have to allow, I think, uh, an audit to get to the bottom of this. But why was that warehouse left unguarded for 20 minutes? And it was in that exact 20 minutes that someone gained access to a warehouse that was locked and under round-the-clock surveillance, had motion detectors, and they somehow managed to unlock and get through a 100-pound steel door. We don't know what happened. We don't know why someone gained access to that warehouse. And I guess we're never going to know. There's a lot of things in this country that, you know, we were at the time we're like, oh, wow, that's really weird. You know, like the I mentioned Jeffrey Epstein. Like, it's so weird that the night that Jeffrey Epstein hung himself, there just happened to be two guards who weren't the regular guards. They were the substitute guards. If you ever remember the old Kelly girls way back in the day, they were like in the 60s and 70s. I guess they were later than the 70s. But, you know, if you needed a substitute job, you know, for working moms, um, you could get a part time job through Kelly girls. And um, that, that's that's what they were like. They were like the Kelly girls of the, um, the jail watchers association, uh, jail guards association. And, um, so they weren't the regular guys. Oh, well, they just didn't know the protocol and he hung himself. Oopsie. Sorry or bad. Uh, and that's it. And we'll never hear about it again. We will never hear anything more about this, this break in, in this warehouse. All right. Now, um, so Tucker goes on to say and lay out what we know factually, So this is what we know so far based on the audits and other information, what we know factually happened in Fulton County, Georgia. So here's what we know tonight, factually. At least 36 batches of mail-in ballots from the November election were double counted in Fulton County. That's a total of more than 4,000 votes. Those numbers come from a group called Voter GA, which along with Bob Cheely sued to get them. The final tally from the double counts we know about amounts to more than 3,300 votes for Joe Biden and 865 votes for Donald Trump. Now, before you dismiss Bob Cheely and voter GA as dishonest partisan actors, keep in mind that the strongly left-of-center Atlanta Journal-Constitution appears to agree with this, at least in outline. The newspaper reviewed the available digital ballot images independently and concluded that hundreds of ballots were improperly duplicated. And then he goes on to show video of um, of a woman who is um, scanning ballots, and she's sitting there, and and she puts a big batch of ballots on the scanner, and they go through, boom, 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 like a, like a copy machine, boom, 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 boom. They go through. She takes them out, straightens them, you know, and puts them back on the scanner, and they go through again. So now is she incompetent? Because a lot of people, from what I understand, from what I keep being told on the left, are incompetent. And they don't know a lot of stuff. Like Hillary Clinton didn't know what certain markings on emails meant that they were privileged, you know, that they were classified. She didn't know that. She had no idea, no clue. Uh, President Barack Obama had no idea that the IRS was auditing and and denying certain um status, tax status to conservative groups. He had no clue. He knew nothing about those pallets of cash that got shipped over to under the cover of darkness. Remember those? No, he didn't know anything about that. He knows nothing. Democrats know nothing. But yet we're supposed to believe that they're competent. 
So now was she incompetent and didn't know how to do her job? And that's where these uh, double counted ballots come from. Or was it something that she was told to do over and over again? We're never going to know. And that's part of the problem here. Now, uh, Tucker goes on to talk about these discrepancies in the surveillance video that showed the ballots being scanned multiple times. So what's the explanation for this? Well, if you ask Fulton County, these discrepancies, the ones you just saw on the screen, were isolated incidents. Just a handful of bad ballots happens all the time. The county claims that any errors were caught in previous recounts. The problem is that neither one of those claims is true. Surveillance footage obtained by Voter GA appears to show large numbers of ballots being scanned multiple times. The question is, how many times were those ballots counted? Was each vote counted more than once? Fulton County won't answer that question. Why won't they answer the question? Why not? Is it because they're embarrassed because they're bad at their job and they don't want to lose the sweet gig? Maybe. But that leaves it open, as Shannon Breen was saying earlier, it leaves it open to the question that people are going to ask, like we're asking right now. Well, then wait a minute. What's happening here? Why won't you answer the question? If they were counted more than once, they were counted three, four times. Okay, we want to know. Does that mean that maybe the outcome of, of some elections in Georgia would have had different outcomes had they been done competently, had they had the procedures been followed? Maybe. Does that mean we're going to throw Joe Biden out of the White House? No, we're not. The Democrats are going to throw him out of the White House. They're going to put Kamala Harris in. We all know that. We know how that game's going to be played. You're not going to see that happen. That's not going to happen. The Democrats feel if they can play this long enough, of course, it makes it less and less possible. Now, David Cross is a consultant for Voter GA, which, um, as I said, is a voter integrity group. And he goes on to show two ballots side by side, one of them marked for a candidate named Jason Shaw. And it's got a little squiggle mark next to you. You can see the person like cover, colored the, the open and then a little mishap. And right next to it is an identical ballot, the identical little mishap on the second ballot. The images are absolutely identical. And they have scanner numbers that are exactly the same. It's the same ballot that was counted twice and was counted in the audit twice. So this audit where you're counting ballots that are either have been double counted or are improperly marked or shouldn't have been counted at all. You're just going to get to come up. Of course, you're going to come out with the same number with just a small difference. And then he goes on to some other ones. Same facts, same numbers, um, same, you know, same mistakes made every single time. How does that happen? And I think Tucker is asking these questions that need to be asked. Now, uh, Tucker goes on to talk about uh, when voter, voter GA... Finally, they had to sue to get Fulton County to turn over the tally sheets from the audits. Here's what happened. When Voter GA finally forced Fulton County to turn over the tally sheets, the conclusion was stunning. Here's what the audit found. Quote, seven falsified audit tally sheets containing fabricated vote totals. For example, a batch containing 59 actual ballot images for Joe Biden and 42 for Donald Trump was reported as 100 for Biden and zero for Trump. The seven batches of ballot images with 554 votes for Joe Biden, 140 votes for Donald Trump, and 11 votes for Joe Jorgensen had tally sheets in the audit falsified to show 850 votes for Biden, zero votes for Trump, and zero votes for Jorgensen. Wait, did you just follow that? How is that not flat-out criminal fraud? We'd love to know because it certainly sounds like flat-out criminal fraud. 
this reminds me of the probe into the um, um, FISA warrants. Remember in front of the FISA courts? And we now know that uh, there was someone who falsified an application to the FISA court. And what happened? He lost his job for a year. I think I think he's not he's not I don't even think he's going to jail. I think he's on probation or something for a year and has to wear like an ankle monitor. But but nothing, nothing for breaking the law like that. So if someone someone falsified these ta- audit tally sheets that says, oh, yeah, this is this is the I, I certified. These are the numbers that are in this this batch here. And they're not. Who did that? And how is that person not going to be held accountable? That's what we want. We want accountability. I'm just going to go into one more and then I'll take your calls on this 866-408-7669. Just to wrap up here of what happened in Florida from Tucker Carlson. And then there's this. An elections expert called Mark Davis analyzed data from the post office. He found that nearly 35,000 Georgia voters moved out of their county of residence more than a month prior to election day. They were ineligible to vote. And yet they did. They still voted in their old county. That is illegal. It's not a small thing. Violating election law is something we should care about. And by law, their vote should have been excluded from the total. But they were not excluded. Why are we okay with that? Why are we okay with any of this? Well, we're okay with it because we've been told we have to be okay with it. We're undermining democracy if we ask questions about what happened during the 2020 election. And, of course, that's a perfect inversion of the truth. All right, and uh, I've got a little bit about um, the election results from the audits in Arizona. Also, rife with mistakes. 866-408-7669, and I'll take your calls coming up on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Questioning everything. It's Brian Kilmeade. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. We've been talking about what happened in coming out of the audit in Georgia and Fulton County and a lot of quote unquote irregularities in Arizona. They found by there in Maricopa County, 74,000 ballots were returned with no record of those ballots ever being sent out. Where did they come from? And that's a great question. There were additional consistencies uh, found in that one as well. Well, Remember Sharpiegate that it was bleeding through? Finds out they used the wrong paper. It sounds like the Keystone cops are are running our elections, that they can't get it right. 866-408-7669. Does this change anything, that all these revelations coming out? Tony, listening on WABC in New Jersey. Hi, Tony. Hi, Mary. Thank you so much for taking my call, and thank you for playing Tucker. Tucker, if you're listening, thank you for what you do. Um, my thing is, is that, like you say, there's so many irregularities in this, and it's so questionable. And and the, I mean, everybody has to know that you don't count the same stack over and over and over again. You know, uh, what they should do is find these people, see what they have in their bank accounts, see how much money was added to their bank accounts after the election to see if they were somehow paid off by somebody. And my second point, Mary, I'm sorry, but um, it almost feels because of the overwhelming amount of people that voted for Trump that, that the Democrats are basically punishing everybody in this country. It's, it's like, okay, we're going to get even with you. And it just seems like 
just this overwhelming uh, pain that they're causing everybody uh, economically as far as, you know, at the gas pump, at the supermarkets, uh, just everything in total. Uh, prices have just gone through the roof, and it just seems like they're causing so much pain. Well, it's interesting that you say it sounds like they're trying to punish the American people. I think if you follow their stereotypes of who a Trump voter is, they know darn well those Trump voters are the ones who are, believe in hard work. This is the stereotype they have, that, that Trump voters believe in hard work. Trump voters are overwhelmingly white. Trump voters are overwhelmingly racist. They're over, overwhelmingly stupid. They're not as smart as they are. So who do you punish with prices going up? Who are the truckers? They look at truckers as being Trump voters. So if you make it harder for them to do their jobs by driving prices up, well, there you go. If you truly believe that white people are racist, what do you do? You bring more more people of color into the country to show them because we'll get them to vote Democrat and we'll, we're going to silence those, those Trump voters. Look what they're doing to the people who are arrested or, or happen to show their face on January 6th. One guy was arrested and charged, lost his job, had to spend all this money on a lawyer. They had no proof that he was actually ever in the Capitol. They just had an anonymous tip. So what did they do? Lawfare. They make your life miserable and they punish you for daring to vote for someone who's not part of the party. And that's what the game is. It's really sad. Tony, you're dead on. Thank you so much. I appreciate your comments. Jimmy, uh, listening on WPTF in Raleigh, North Carolina. Jimmy, you're on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hi. Hey, hi, hi. Real quick, because um, I know we've got to go with <laughs> no, we lost you. <laughs> we have a joke in radio that whenever you tell someone you have to make your comments quickly because we're going to run out of time, something happens. And there it is. Something happened. I didn't do that, Jimmy. I was all ready to take you and boom, his uh, his connection dropped. Sorry about that. Well, Michelle listening on WOKV in Jacksonville. His bad luck is your good luck. Hi, you're on the Brian Kilmeade show. Hi, Michelle. <laughs> Yeah, thanks. Sorry about that, bud. Hey, Mary, so glad to have you today. Um, two uh, quick points. Number one, I don't know if you've heard about this, but they're coming, uh, they're trying another tactic now, coming after the machine, saying that there's something wrong with the batteries, that they need to replace them in these voting machines. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Um, I the, None of these audits, Michelle, have even gone into that, have gone into the machines or anything like that. The only thing we have is that out of Arizona, auditors found 37,000 requests on one day for a blank password on a system that only contained eight accounts. So the one of the uh, people who testified in that uh, yesterday in Arizona found uh, his name is Ben Cotton. He's a digital security expert. Expert. And he said that um, it's it looks as if multiple people, obviously 37,000 requests for a blank password on a system that only contains eight accounts. It makes it extremely difficult to determine the chain of custody of information. So any accountability is out the window from an individual aspect. They also noted that 11,326 people that did not show up in November 7th on the voter rolls appear on December 4th on the voter rolls. Uh, but the, there was, there was no questioning of the machines or any kind of information that came out on the machines in either one of those audits. Very, very, very quickly, Mike in Daytona beach, Florida, you have 30 seconds. Go. Thank you, Mary. You're doing a great job. Thank you for playing the Tucker clips. 
A couple, Thank you. Couple of things, I've watched it twice. A couple of things that you haven't talked about, I don't think, is one, one of the poll watchers looked at a stack of uh, ballots, and they were mail-in ballots, Mary, but none of them were ever folded. Yes. So how do you get a mail-in ballot there that was folded? Plus the uh, 30-something thousand people that were uh, had moved out of the county from which they were they voted in, and that was illegal. So if anybody can watch that clip on Tucker Carlson, I recommend that they do it. Thank you, Mary, for doing a great job today. Oh, thank you, Mike, and thank you for getting it in and being quick. We appreciate that. Yeah, Tucker did address the um, – not the not the the flat ballot, but he he did address that. Um, what was his last point there with the people who uh, showed up and uh, the number of votes? But he did address that. But I do recommend you you watch that video because there's so much information in it. It's hard to get it all in in the time that we have here. And there was video that was shown with that. And it's really, really informative. You know, you might as well learn about it. I'm sure there's going to be more coming out about this because now the Democrats are going to audit the second set of auditors, not the first set. I'm Mary Walter. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. The Fox News Rundown, a contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. Your daily dose of news twice a day. Featuring insight from top newsmakers, reporters, and Fox News contributors. Listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.